Are there any uh, first-time visitors this morning? Raise your hand. We'll get some cards. We've got a number of first-time visitors. Keep your hands raised until you get your card. Get your. If you could just fill that out and put it in the envelope this morning, then put it in the basket. So we have a record of your visit today. We're glad you're here today, as well as we're glad the church family is here today. I want to let you know, though, I am not Pastor Joe. Church family knows that. (laughs) That's close. That's close. Um, Pastor Joe is on vacation. Uh, Continue to uh, keep him in prayer. He's just getting away, spend some time with Aaron and spending some time with the Lord. Preparing for his messages when he gets back. So keep him in prayer. My message today is about David. In about uh, 1500, Michelangelo was chosen to sculpt the statue of David. The statue stands 17 feet tall, and is located in Florence, Italy. David's statue was sculpted that high because he was a man, just a giant of a man. He was a military genius. He was a savvy politician, a musical talent. He played the harp. And he was a gifted writer, for he wrote many psalms. It took Michelangelo four years to finish this statue of David. The task was difficult because the marble that he was working with was flawed. It had been damaged when it had been moved from the quarry. Just as the marble was flawed, David was flawed also. As we are. He was ridiculed by his older brothers. He had seven older brothers. I had two. I know what it's like. And because of that, he probably wanted to be a shepherd so he could be alone, away from his brothers. He was innocent, yet running for his life. Ten years he ran from his for his life because. Saul wanted to kill him because he was the next anointed king. And then when he became king, he struggled, struggled with some sin, struggled with sexual sin. He should have been out leading his armies in battle, but he was in his palace overlooking the balcony in the place where Bathsheba was taking a bath. And then he called for her to come to him. And because of that union, it produced a child. Then David, because of this union, wanted to lie about it. And then even worse, he tried to hide it from her husband, Uriah, trying to get him to think it was his child. And when he didn't uh, take the bait, David had him put in the front lines of the army in the next battle where he was killed. 
That was David. But isn't that all of us? But yet, for Samuel, David was described as a man after God's own heart. Why? How could a man deeply flawed, but then how could we, a deeply flawed people, be called a person or a man after God's heart? Here's why. Because the real measure of David's heart was his desire to seek God. That should be our desire, to seek God. In Psalm 27, David wrote, One thing, one thing I have asked from the Lord, that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. David knew the importance of spending time with God. And how often does Pastor Joe say, you need to be in the book, spend time with God, learning who he is. See, David was a man who was preoccupied with experiencing God, God's love, God's presence. And out of his desire and experience, came Psalm 23. Psalm 23, I think, is the most loved psalm, probably the most quoted psalm. I think if someone were to tell you Psalm 23, you'd at least know the verse line, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Or if you said, the Lord is my shepherd, you'd know it was Psalm 23. Probably the most love because it meets your emotional needs, your directional needs, our eternal needs. But yet, even though it might be the most loved psalm and quoted psalm, probably may be the least applied psalm to our lives. Let's read Psalm 23. I don't know what version. Okay. Take my glasses off. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me, Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's look at this verse by verse. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord here refers to Jehovah Yahweh. This is what his name he gives himself to reveal himself to David. Similar to when he met Moses on the mountain. He says, I am who I am. It's like myself telling you I'm Terry, telling you who I am. Then he says, the Lord is. Yahweh is just not a Lord of the 
the past, nor of just the future. But he is the Lord of the present, right here. And I'm always glad that he is present always in my life. Are you glad that he's present in your life? And then the Lord is my shepherd. It's personalizing who he is. It's like saying, this is my daddy. This is my mommy. And for me, it's like saying, this is my wife. I'm personalizing it. I have that relationship with her. And it's like a child, I think, sometimes I see this as a child that has a teddy bear. This is my teddy bear. And they hold on to it. That's the way I feel about my wife. I hold on to her. That's the way I feel David was speaking about the Lord. He was his shepherd. He's holding on to it. And because of all that, I can just hear it in the voice. I shall not want. I shall not want. With Jesus, we can have this too. You see, being a shepherd, David saw the connection between his responsibilities to his sheep and the Lord's care for us. You know, sheep like us are helpless and defenseless. And sometimes we don't want to admit that, but we are helpless and defenseless, especially when fighting the enemy. And sheep are also prone to discontentment. They need a guide to keep them from straying from safe paths and street sheep often strayed. But you know, we also live in a culture of discontentment in the quest of needing more. I think we're always looking for the next best thing, something that will satisfy us because we may never be satisfied. And we are prone to wander from those safe places of just trusting and waiting for him to show us. Isaiah says, all of us like sheep have gone astray. Each has turned to his own way. Have you gone astray? I have. I will we'll admit it. I'm a sinner. But the wonderful thing is we have a shepherd. And the wonderful thing about shepherds, they knew their sheep by name. And Isaiah says, the Lord knows our name. The Lord knows your name. Isn't that a wonderful thing? Just like a father knows their ch- his children's name, the Lord knows our name. And shepherds were acquainted with sheep's ways. Fathers know the ways of their kids. They know how they act. So what we do doesn't surprise God. He knows how we are. He knows how we act. A discontented sheep and a discontented believer really doesn't trust in the shepherd's provision. You know, sheep are dumb. A shepherd needed to think for his sheep. A shepherd knew he had to fight for his sheep. A shepherd knew he had to guard his sheep. He would sleep in front of the gate at night so predators couldn't come in. And shepherd knows he has to lead his sheep. If any of you are cowboy fans, not, not the football cowboys, I mean the real John Wayne type cowboys, 
you know, they, they, thank you. I don't know what that says that we like cowboy movies or we're just older. I don't know. But, uh, you know, in those movies, they would have a cattle drive. And if you've seen those movies, and the cowboys would circle up the cattle and they would be hooping and hollering and telling the cattle to move. But a shepherd doesn't do that. A shepherd is out in front and leads and leads because the sheep knew his voice. Do you know his voice? You know, it takes time to learn his voice. The more you pray, and sometimes praying isn't talking, sometimes praying is listening, because you need to let that Holy Spirit to speak into you and you learn to discern his voice and know it's from God. So when you pray, sometimes just stop and, and listen and meditate. I think that's a wonderful truth. Contentment doesn't come from what we have because if you're truth with yourselves, you're not always contented. But our contentment comes from who we have. Your contentment comes, I believe, my contentment comes from the Lord. And when you have this truth, you understand it, then you can say, I shall not want. I shall not want. Because he is everything you need. No matter what is going on in your life, he is everything that you need. And then we get to verse 2. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me besides quiet waters. You know, when reading of green pastures, you get a mental image of beautiful flowing fields of grass and flowers, perhaps. But in the Middle East, the opposite is true. The landscape is very barren. The shepherd leads their shock, the sheep to the areas where there's small patches of grass because of the sparse rainfall, there's only small patches of grass that have grown. When you think about it, what we call barren, they would call green pastures because they knew that was where the sheep could be fed, even though there wasn't much. But there was enough for the sheep. And when they would eat until they were full, it was then that they could feel safe and they could lay down. You know, this relates to us because the Lord take what looks like a, a barren place in our life and provides his presence until we feel safe enough to surrender our rights and depend on him. You know, I, I was laid off, I think I've shared this before, for 18 months, so a long time ago. But I knew the Lord's provision and all that. And so in subsequent layoffs, I knew I could trust him, that he was going to still provide. Still provide. The key word is he makes me. Because he was providing just enough day by day until we feel safe enough to surrender and depend on him, knowing he is enough. Is he enough in your life? Have you totally surrendered? I don't mean partially surrender, totally, because if you're not totally surrendered to God, 
you're not surrendered because you're holding back something for yourself. And then he leads leads to the second part of this verse. He leads me to quiet waters. You know, sheep don't drink in running waters because they fear of losing their footing and drowning. They don't want to be in deep ponds because if their coats of wool get filled with water, they get so heavy that they fall over and drown. So sheep, the shepherd would just uh, go upstream, cut off any running water, dam it up to make a still pond for them. And our shepherd leads us into environments that we won't lose our footing, environments that we can handle, environments that we can get through because he is there. And then he restores our soul. The reason God makes us lie down in our will and surrender, and the reason he leads us to safe environments is so he can restore our soul. You know that. God knows we need restoration. We fall prey to temptations. Voluntarily, we all cease and want to sometimes fall into it. And then we do it repeatedly and becomes a stronghold in our life. And then what happens? It's when we use bad judgments or when we encounter jealousy, self-indulgent, lust, envy, etc. We make excuses. We blame our decisions on genetics. I was born this way. Not my fault. Then we sometimes say we're victims of a dysfunctional family. And there is such a thing as generational sin. You know, my family abused alcohol. And growing up seeing this, I knew in my life I didn't want to do that. I I saw what the percussions of that, and I didn't want to do that. And then when I became a Christian, I knew I didn't want to do it. Sometimes we're a victim of life situations, sometimes illnesses, sometimes abuse, sometimes a job, job loss of a job. <laughs> and sometimes you just want to say, the devil made me do it, which isn't true. And sometimes then we go on and try self-help tools. Those are not very long-lasting. You know, we try them. This method doesn't work. This method doesn't work. So on and so forth. They don't last long. So we really need restoration. And only the Lord can restore us. He is our shepherd longs to restore us. Restore our depletion from marital problems. Financial problems. Relationship problems and sin problems. And he restores our emotions when we repent and our energy from hard, 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 our hard hearts after we repent from these simple choices. David knew that only the Lord restores. And you have to know this too. Psalm 51 says, David wrote, 
Restore unto me the joy of your salvation. See, our joy, our, our hearts come from having that relationship with the Lord. And David knew this. And David knew this. Then he rose me in the paths of righteousness' sake for his name. The Lord not only restores, but he gets us back on track to when we take the wrong direction in a life choice. For example, we turn on the GPS system in our cars. I have an older car. Does anybody have a new car? That have GP- Don't they have GPS? All the new cars have GPS systems, I think. Well, I don't have that. So when I want to go somewhere that I don't know where it's at, I ask my wife to go on her phone and put directions in the phone. So we wanted to go up I live in Boardman, and we wanted to go up to the north side to some festival, and I didn't know exactly where that street was. So she turned on her phone and put the directions in, and, and it's kind of scary that the phone can talk to you. It's kind of scary that when you think about it, that phone, those directions, wherever they're coming from, the satellite, that maybe the government knows everywhere I'm at. You know, they, they know where you're at. So you can't hide from the government. So if you want to hide, get rid of your phone. You know. But we were going down Market Street, heading downtown, and there was a barricade. I, I couldn't go through, so I knew I had to turn left or right, but I turned left. And then the voice came on, go to such and such street, turn right. Go to such and such a street. Turn right again. And when you get to the end of that street, turn left. You're back on Market Street. And like a GPS system, God wants to recalibrate us. You know, David need recalibrated after his sin with Bathsheba. He sent, God sent Nathan into his life. Nathan was a prophet who went and told Nathan or David that you know, he had sinned with Bathsheba. Not exactly like that, but he was using an analogy. And David repented of that sin and got his life back on track with God. But when we are recalibrated from wrong, you know, it's our heart that we should walk towards him. We should walk towards him. And then you have fellowship with him. Then you walk beside him. Then you learn to rely on him again. Learn to just trust in him. And then you should learn to let him transform you by his righteousness. Get back in the path that God wants you to be. Begin to live the life that you're supposed to live. Be Be changed back to God has called you to change. And then we have verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You know, this verse is often used at funerals. But that's not what it's talking about. He's talking about those trials in life. Those trials that may seem like the shadow of death. That are very hard, that are to go through. But you see, in prolonged heat, a shepherd would 
would lead his flock into a deep valley. And the problem with that is that sheep hate valleys because their eyesight is so poor that as they are going down that, that valley, they fear being attacked by predators. And what they don't know is that the shepherd is leading them there for their protection, not harm. It is in the valley where they can find water and find refreshment and feel safe again. And we as believers are the same way. We want to believe that we can live from mountaintop to mountaintop with no valleys. And you know that's not going to happen because life is difficult. Sometimes it's hard, very hard, to understand the path God leads us on. Often it seems to lead away from our good and causing us to leave. We have taken a wrong turn, missed the path that we were on. That is because we have wrongly assumed, I think, maybe that, that if we're on the right path, living the right way, being God's goodness, it will always translate into earthly good. That's not true. The same is true for us, though, in these valleys. When we come to the end of the valley, the path that uh, uh, we came to, we would understand that where the shepherd was leading his sheep for their good be the same valley that God was leading us and was the best choice for them is the best choice for us. And we have to understand that out of all the op- possible options, we have to trust the Lord. That's where he wanted us to go, as tough as they are. You know, in verses 1 through 3, he was using the pronoun he, speaking about God. But here in verse 4, he, when talking about the valleys, David uses the pronoun you. And the valley is not talking about God. He's talking to God. You are with me. He was knowing. We're never alone. So we'll, we'll one day see that no other route would have been as beneficial for us as by the valley which, which we came through. I think if we could only see the the path that God took us through, we would select it as well because we would know it was the best possible path that we could have taken. Skip Heisig said, sometimes the darkest valleys are the pathway to the greenest pastures. Notice David uses the action word walk when talking about valleys. Not standing still in terror, not to lay down, but to keep moving forward. Keep walking. Keep trusting. Keep your eyes on God. You see, our comfort comes in the valley because God is there with us. Sometimes we don't know what they'll say. We don't know what the future holds, but we know who holds the future. And our comfort in the valley is God's rod of power in defending us. Shepherds carried a club to ward off, to fight off any predators. And God will do the same thing for us. And he used a staff of protection. When 
we were prone to stand still, he would use his, the staff with a little crook on the end, hook it around the sheep's neck to pull it in the direction he knew the sheep needed to go to be safe. And God wants to do that for us. He wants to direct us to the place where we can be safe. Then I love this, verse 5. I call this the blessing. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. See, in these last two verses, we go from the Lord our shepherd's guidance and protection to his provision. You know, when a shepherd found the lost sheep, he would lay down that sheep and nurse it, bind up its wounds. But all this was done while still keeping an eye out for predators. And that's the way God is. He helps us and protects us, binds up our wounds, and continues to watch out for the predators. This is, I think, one of the most beautiful promises. Because when we are under attack and possibly fallen into sin, but repent and are restored, the Lord, our shepherd, pledging to set a, a table filled with wonderful food before us. See, he puts on a waiter's apron, and he serves up a feast. That's the Lord. He serves us. And that, this is funny. He does this all in front of our enemies. The word for table means spread. God isn't speaking of a little plate of food. He is talking about a massive feast. Abundance is his nature. God is great. God gives a lot. And there's only one guest at this meal, you or me. God just does this abundant provision of preparing and waiting and serving and for every individual who loves Jesus. So as our shepherd is preparing our feast, he makes our enemies sit on the outer fringe and watch us being served. You see, our enemy can't comprehend this kind of mercy and grace. But he couldn't comprehend Calvary either. He was certain God would cast us off for our failures. And he was ready to gloat over our destruction. But now he has to watch as we feast on God's patience, his kindness, his love, and mercy and grace. And then during all this time, our, the shepherd anoints our head with oil. Shepherds use this oil to heal the sheep's wounds. It is called the oil of joy. See, during this feast, the Lord heals the pain of our past the pain from bad decisions. He does all this right in front of our enemies. You know, some people see your cup is, or glass is half full. Some people see it as half empty. But with God, David saw his cup was running over. We should too. Never look at the glass half empty or half full. Look at your blessings. See the cup running over. And finally, verse 6. 
Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. In shepherding, two sheepdogs chased after sheep to keep them from straying. They would just run around, bark at them, and the sheep would get back in the fold. But you know, we as believers have two spiritual sheepdogs named God's goodness and loving kindness. But that and all that had happened in David's life, this analogy stuck a, struck a deep truth in him. David described God's love as flowing straight from God's heart to his heart. Not a duty, but straight from the heart. Do you know that? Do you know that God loves you? Do you really ever stop and think how much God loves you? You can look at the cross. That's how much God loves you. You know? So David was making a declaration for his future because of God's goodness and loving kindness because of the past experience. And goodness and loving kindness will chase us, keep us until we reach our destination to live in the presence of the Lord forever. We are a child of the King, child of the Savior. You have that blessing, that future. You know, those fairy tales, they say they lived happily ever after. Well, this is no fairy tale. This is truth. Who we are, sinners. Hopefully, you're saved by grace because you put, placed your trust and faith in Jesus Christ. When that day comes, when we go to be with the Lord, we can say we live joyfully ever after. And we, like David, you know, we have a choice to make. But understand this, before you can call the Lord your shepherd, you need to make him your savior. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That sounds like a sermon. You know, You need to know the Lord is your Savior. He gave his life for us because we are sinners, unclean. Unless you have the Lord as your Savior, unless you understand that he paid your debt, and not only believe, you can believe that Jesus is Jesus, but the devils believe Jesus is Jesus. It's when you repent and place your faith in him and place your trust in him that you can be saved. So if anyone needs to be saved this morning, this morning or anybody needs prayer, come forward if you want to after I'm done here, after I pray. Ready? And really pray. Father, we just thank you that you love us. We thank you that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to pay our debt again. We thank you as we make him our Lord and Savior, we can put our faith and trust in him enough to call him our shepherd. I pray today, Lord, that if anyone here doesn't know the Lord, your son, as Savior, that today would be their day of salvation. I pray that you would touch hearts. Help us to remember and understand that he's our provider. He wants to guide us. He wants to lead us. We just need to let him be that shepherd, to let go of our lives and to put our faith and trust in him. 
So I pray today that you would just speak to hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.